I invite you to turn with me to Zephaniah, and I'll be reading from Zephaniah chapter 1, and I'll read verses 7 through 12. Again, this is Zephaniah chapter 1, and these are verses 7 through 12. Brothers and sisters, hear the perfect and the holy word of God. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guest, and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold which fill their masters' houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass, in that day saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and then howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. Howl, ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass, at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Amen. And now, friends, I invite you to bow your head in prayer with me and please hear this prayer of illumination before the message. Father, we... We praise Thee for this time of fellowship and worship, Lord. We, we are so thankful, Lord, for the various members of Thy body, O Christ, and how all the members of Thy body, Lord, they are set apart by Thee for a specific purpose, Lord. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to truly think deeply on, Lord Jesus, the, the callings that we are called in to support and love one another, Lord, in, in a brotherly or sisterly way. I speak thou in me, wretched man that I am. I pray that my, my friends in thee, O Christ, they would hear all of thy word and none of, my, uh, none of mine. And Lord, may I be like Joshua. May this thy word be continually in my mouth as I speak unto thy children. Um, we praise thee, Lord, for thy word. We praise thee for thy mercy. And we ask all this in thy name. Amen. Amen. And Brothers and sisters, I'm going to say a little bit about the context of Zephaniah, um, and I'm going to repeat some of the information that I included last week. So Zephaniah, he is prophesying between 640 years before Christ and 609 years before Christ, and he's prophesying during the reign of King Josiah. So that reading that we completed... Uh, just a few minutes ago about King Josiah and his his righteousness, his holiness in the Lord. Zephaniah was prophesying during that king's reign. And last week in verses 1 through 6, we read about and we heard about different types of paganism that had infected and really, we can use the word, polluted the kingdom of Judah. So in verses 1 through 6, Zephaniah, he mentions a group called the Kimmerim, which were a group of um, pagan priests 
a bale. They, they more than likely wore black robes. They'd fall into these kind of trances, we think. They were, just in a word, really causing a lot of harm um, in Judah. And they were connected with the cult of Baal, the false god of Baal. Also, we heard about Malcolm, um, sometimes in scripture called Milcom or Malik, and all those names, they describe the same false god of the Ammonites. And the people of Judah in the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, the two kings before Josiah, the, the people of Judah, they'd started to mix with these false religions, these pagan gods. And with the cult of Moloch, um, or Malcolm or Milcom, depending on which Bible, excuse me, book of the Bible you're reading, um, those are the various names. That pagan cult was so egregious that they would actually burn their children. It was just awful. It was a wicked and heinous um, pagan group. But the people of Judah had started to adopt some of their customs. And also, in verses 1 through 6, we hear about um, another type of paganism that unfortunately affected Israelites all too often. It, um, that was essentially them getting on the roofs of their houses and worshiping the stars. Uh, and they, they get involved with these groups that thought that somehow the, the movement of the stars affected them with the so-called deity. And Jeremiah 19 goes into more detail about those problems that were happening in Judah. And as a reminder, the latter part of Jeremiah's prophecy was written during the same time period that Zephaniah was prophesying. So they were kind of what you'd call co-prophets. They were prophesying at the same time. In the verses this week that I've just read, in verses 7 through 12 that is, um, Zephaniah mentions a practice that there's some debate about what this was, um, but in any translation you would have read, I'm sure it said something to the effect of, um, the Lord was angry with those who were leaping over the threshold. So the King James uses language just about like that. The Lord was angry with those who were leaping over the threshold. So in 1 Samuel, that practice is described. And essentially what, what had happened, um, the Philistine false god Dagon, you spell it D-A-G-O-N, there was this strange practice connected with him where... The pagans, the Philistine pagans, they would jump over the threshold of the door. So it was a pagan practice. There's not a whole lot of detail we have about it, but I, I share the view that a lot of men do uh, that this practice was connected with Philistine paganism. So again, we hear Zephaniah describing another foreign pagan practice that the people of Judah have adopted. So the Lord is angry with them continuing to try to blend his word with teachings of the world. So we're hearing about that at great length. Also, just a little bit of contextual information. Essentially, in, yeah, the translations are a little bit different in their phrasing, but um, the formally equivalent translations will all say this, that Zephaniah, he describes the fish gate, which would have been the north gate in Jerusalem. He described something called Maktesh, which would have been kind of the 
the marketplace, kind of the lower part of Jerusalem. He describes the second quarter, and he describes the hills. So those are four different places. And the Spirit of the Lord, in so many words, is saying to the people of, of Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, which has not yet been exiled, with Jerusalem as the capital, the Lord is saying to them, all four parts of the city, uh, the Lord is going to judge all the people. Um, so the way we can receive that is, the Lord, he sees all things, he knows all things, everything that's done in the darkness will be brought into the light. So Zephaniah, when he describes these four parts of the city, it's as if we're hearing, no one can escape God's judgment. That's the way I think we can we can receive it. I'll include just a little bit more um, contextual information and then move more directly into some points of, of application. So depending on your translation, the ESV will translate um, the phrase, uh, a phrase this way, that the people of Judah had become complacent. And that's, that's a good translation. Um, but in the King James, um, essentially what, we, what you read is the people of Judah, they were resting on their lees. So that's, a, I think, a more accurate translation. You could actually translate the Hebrew congealing on their dregs. Okay, so what does all that, what does all that mean? Um, in Israel, if someone was a winemaker in Israel, you know, they would have had a big vat. And then at the bottom of the vat, there would have been sediment, um, kind of excess. Sediment's a better word. They've gathered at the bottom of the barrel. At the, at the bottom of the vat. And that wine at the bottom um, was not good wine. And that sediment that had gathered at the bottom, what can be translated as the dregs or sometimes the lees, that was bitter and not good. And it actually would congeal. So the Hebrew word is also used to describe uh, you know, curdling with milk. So what the, the Spirit of God is saying through those words is that the people of Judah, they knew what to do. They knew the Lord's will. They knew his word. But they had gotten so complacent that they had just said in their hearts that, that the Lord wouldn't do good or he wouldn't do evil. And the Lord was so angry with them, he compared them to that sediment at the bottom of a barrel. And he said that they are so complacent that they're like this excess material that's just congealing. So just some of the contextual information in this. There's so much detail in Zephaniah. It's, um, I think, a God-glorifying exercise for us to see, see the depth of the details. But this will really be the, the theme of the message. The Lord of hosts, Christ Jesus, will judge the living and the dead in flawless detail when he returns on the cloud. And those who have been washed in his holy blood and followed him will be with him in the heavenly city for eternity. And those who have not will be condemned. So that's to say that we read about the heavenly city in one of our supplementary passages. So God's judgment was on Jerusalem. Um, God's judgment is on all sin. We hear about his full perfect judgment. All sides of the city. No one could escape his judgment. 
for you and for me in Christ Jesus. All because of his covenant and mercy. All because we've confessed faith from our heart by his grace, by his spirit. We are promised a perfect Jerusalem. Where the tree of life blooms, he's the light therein. When we have Christ, we have everything. His grace is so beautiful and magnificent, our words fail when we try to describe it. But it's still uh, crucial for us to remember that no man or woman, no boy or girl, no one can escape the judgment of God. No one. That's what we hear in the Bible. So we who are in Christ, when he returns on the cloud with his holy angels, we know, we have the assurance of faith that we won't be cast off. We'll be with him forever. But still, we're going to be held accountable for all we do. He's going to have us account for what we've done in the body. But when you have Christ, you have the new Jerusalem. You have life eternal. But his judgment, we should think on it often. Uh, the Puritans... One of the things they loved to meditate on and teach their brothers and sisters to meditate on was the judgment seat of Christ. So we know not the day nor the hour. We always need to be prepared to meet our Lord. Um, so, yeah, the Lord of hosts, he commands us to remain silent as the day of the Lord is near, as he has prepared his sacrifice. So if you read the ESV, it'll probably say, the Lord says, remain silent. And then in Habakkuk 2, verse 20, the same words are used. So in the King James, will say, hold thy peace. And I was talking to a brother of mine in the Lord this week. is a preacher in the OPC. His name's Dan Clifford. And it was, he, I was talking to him about this passage, and he, he used this description that I'm just going to borrow from him and, and credit to him that was so helpful that we were talking about Zephaniah 1, and he said the image that came to mind for him was standing at attention right in the military. So a person in the military, they stand at attention. They're quiet. They're paying attention to their commander, right? but they're ready. They're ready to obey their commander. So we compare that to those who were resting on their dregs, congealing, all because of their sin. They were going from bad to worse. So to be silent before the Lord... We could say, yeah, my brother, that's such a helpful description, I thought. It's as if we're standing in attention, preparing for his judgment, knowing that he's coming. I thought that was a helpful description my, my friend posited. But I think when we think about being silent before the Lord, an additional way we can, can view that and interpret that would be when we know what his word tells us to do and we're dedicated to doing what he tells us for his glory by his grace alone right? that submission and I'm borrowing some of this from John Calvin Calvin really thinks that's what it means to be silent before the Lord and I think that's right as well when we know the will of the Lord and we do it right? and scripture will even tell us in Thessalonians to do your work quietly so we can think of it that way to do it with all of our might, to know that the Lord, he's going to call us to account for what we've done. Um, so I really agree with Calvin there. To be silent before the Lord, it means to do what he tells us. Nice and simple. Um, to be clamorous, we could say, before the Lord, 
to be unnecessarily noisy before the Lord would be following false patterns. Wanting to hold on to even an inch or a centimeter of an idolatrous form of thinking. That would be the opposite of silence we could say before the Lord. But the Lord says that he's prepared his sacrifice, he's consecrated his guest. And essentially what this means, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase what it means, is that all the people of Judah, not all, but the majority of the people of Judah, had made these sacrifices to false gods. And they had even sacrificed their children to false gods, which was an absolute abomination to the Lord. And the Lord, he was so angry with their sin, and is so angry with sin that he says that they're going to be sacrificed. The sinners are going to be sacrificed in judgment. Um, but we who are covered in the blood of Christ, we who know our King, we know our Redeemer, we will be spared. We'll see the countenance in the light of his face. But that's just how serious the Lord is about sin. He says that these false religions in Judah, these terrible things that they were doing, they would then be the sacrifice when he returns in judgment. So some parallel passages that, that describe the Lord really as the one who prepares and completes the sacrifice. Um, some parallel passages, Isaiah 34, 6, Jeremiah 46, 10, Ezekiel 39, 17, Job 1, 13 to 15. Then Habakkuk 2.20 talks about the, the silence of the Lord. But I'm going to read from Isaiah. And I'm going to read Isaiah. I'm going to read from chapter, excuse me, uh, 34. And I'll read verses 1 through 6. And again, the Lord has prepared his sacrifice. The Lord is angry with sin. So this is a parallel to what we've read in Zephaniah. Come near ye nations, to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. And all their host shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Adamea, the people of my curse, the judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. And it is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, and with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Adamea. Amen. So we hear, hear in those verses of Isaiah, again, a parallel passage to what's being said in Zephaniah, that the Lord, His judgment is severe, his judgment is eternal. His judgment is perfect. Um, and the Lord is that angry with sin. Uh, those who reject him, 
those who reject his word, those who propagate false teachings, those who are not washed in his blood. That's who he's describing. Um, and it should cause us to be very, very attentive. Again, what my brother had mentioned this week in that discussion I had with him, to stand at attention and be ready for the return of the Lord. But remember this word of, of hope to you and to me. Salvation has come to thee and thy house. That's what the scripture tells us. When the God of Israel has made a covenant of grace with you and your children, uh, when we have new birth in him, when we're covered in his blood, brother or sister, you will see the beautiful, majestic light of Christ when he returns in judgment. So we have to trust in him, be eager to see our loving Redeemer return in judgment. Also, the Lord of, of heaven and earth, he warns us about the wicked sin of resting on our leaves. And I said a little bit about that phrase already. Um, so that's to say functioning with carelessness or idleness before him. So, so again, repeat some of that information that a wine vat in Israel, the sediment on the bottom, uh, it had congealed, it gathered um, all of the, the excess, all the sour and unchoice wine at the bottom of the vat. The Lord describes people who say that the Lord won't do good or evil that way. Um, so what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is always wanting to be prepared for the return of the Lord. Uh, what would be the opposite of, of being congealed on the dregs, on the leaves, being at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, just resting? The opposite would be um, what we think about in Matthew's Gospel with the virgins who were prepared. They had their lamps trimmed and burning. They had their oil ready. So that's to say, always be thinking deeply about the majestic return, the perfect judgment, the majesty, the power of Jesus Christ. Always be thinking about his word. We can never read his word too much. We can never obey too much. So that's a way for us to be doing the opposite from congealing at the bottom of the barrel, at the bottom of the vat, so to speak. Um, and there's similar, similar descriptions that, that come up in in God's word, uh, Psalm 94:7, Jeremiah 48:11, Ezekiel 8:12, Amos 6:11, as well, and Malachi 2:17. But in Amos's prophecy, we'll hear in a really pointed way that the Lord is angry with idleness. Um, the Lord is angry with complacency because the Lord Jesus, you've been bought at a price. He has wonderful, beautiful, detailed, joyful biblical plans for you and for me. And he wants us to do that with all of our might. So when we know the king that's coming and we want to please him, we want to do the complete opposite to resting on our leaves, on our dregs. On the contrary, we want to sprint, sprint to heaven. We want to do our absolute best. So how do we prepare for the day of the Lord or for the glory of Christ? So Christ Jesus, who rides on the white horse, 
with his robe dipped in blood, with the archangel and holy angels, will be the cause of howling and lamenting over the wickedness the Spirit described through Zephaniah's pen. Jesus of Nazareth will return on the cloud and at the great white throne from which he shall judge, the books will be opened and every human being will be held accountable for what they have done in the body. The Ancient of Days, Christ their Lord, in his infinite holiness, will perfectly and precisely judge all when the new Jerusalem is brought to earth. We who have been washed in his holy blood must do all things in obedience to his perfect written word and to fully glorify him in preparation for his righteous and holy judgment as we have been spared from due wrath by the blood of his covenant forever. So that's to say that when we hear about the full judgment of God, in Zephaniah he describes the four parts to the city of Jerusalem as if to say, no one will escape the judgment of God. Zephaniah, we hear by his, the Spirit working through him that we should never mix the worship of God with paganism, with false belief. Uh, we hear through the pen of Zephaniah by the Spirit of God that he doesn't want us to be idle. He doesn't want us to rest on our dregs. He wants us to be hastening, running, sprinting to his judgment, seeking his face, loving his word, memorizing his word, living by his word. So again, how do we prepare for the judgment of, judgment of Christ? How do we prepare to be before the judgment seat? Trust in him. Uh, know that all because he was nailed to the cross for my wicked sins and yours, all because of his blood you're spared. He's covered you with his blood. And what your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Live each day to the glory of God. Um, love your spouse. Love your children. I'm saying this to myself too. Love your parents. Honor them. Do all these things with all of your might for the glory of God. Enjoy Him. Enjoy your Christian responsibilities. Live every day with precision as if you are back to meet your King. Because we know not the day nor the hour. So, friends, I, I invite you to, to bow your head in prayer with me. And please hear this prayer. Oh, Father, we, we praise Thee for Thy mercy. But we praise Thee for Thy word through the prophet Zephaniah. Our Lord, teach us to be diligent. Teach us to be loving. Lord, teach us to, to end, Lord, the Sabbath that we've been granted this day reading thy word with our families, Lord, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, Lord, teach us to, to tell people about, about the uh, King and Redeemer this week, Lord, to, to give someone a Bible, to pray with someone, Lord, to, to tell someone about the hope, the love that we have within us all because of thee. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for this time of fellowship. I'm, I'm thankful for each one of my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, I pray that thou would spill them with joy from heaven, Lord. Fill them with, Lord, an appetite for the honey, the sweetness that is thy word. Uh, we love thee, Lord, and we pray and we ask these things in thy name. Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.